Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Well, uh, they gave me an assignment today called Declaring the Kingdom, and um, I was going to preach out of Luke 10, and I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to jump out of there, when I realized that the last time I was here, I preached Luke 10, so uh, integrity tells me don't preach the same message twice in the same place. Now, none of you would probably remember that. Uh, I don't even think this campus was started back then when, we did, when, I, did, when I did that, but... I'm going, to, I'm going to jump out of there because the assignment was called Declaring the Kingdom. And, uh, but in Luke 10, Jesus uh, actually instructs his disciples in, and sends them out on mission. And in there, there's great insight there, and, and a, lot of, a lot of that insight comes from uh, the book that uh, Jeff referred to uh, on spiritual conversations. And... Uh, that's actually a sermon. You probably wouldn't have liked that sermon anyway. It was a, a nine-point sermon. So, uh, um, but it was uh, nine, nine, uh, nine insights on how to get into spiritual conversations. But one of those insights was on, uh, from verse 9 where Jesus said to, um, to the disciples, you know, he, he told them to uh, tell people that the kingdom of God has come near to you, and so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get in we're gonna get into that what that means, um, and I want to give you four texts uh, besides that one, okay? And uh, so just write these down somewhere if you're taking notes. Uh, Matthew twenty twenty four fourteen, so it's Luke ten nine, Matthew twenty four fourteen, uh, Acts eight twelve, and Acts twenty eight. 31. And I'm going to just read them uh, to you, uh, and, uh, and then I'm going to make, a, make an application point. But basically, Jesus told the disciples, you know, he basically shared with them how, how to go on mission with him, right? And in the midst of that, he basically said, when you speak to them, you know, you need to declare, verbally tell them, declare the kingdom to them, declare the kingdom, all right? Then in Matthew 24, 14, he says, uh, he tells his disciples, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And then uh, we want to understand what, this, what it means to declare the kingdom. Then in uh, Acts 8, 12, uh, Luke basically uh, records, but when the Samaritans believed Philip... Um, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Okay? And then the last verse of the book of Acts, um, Luke writes, And he, Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. So my assignment today is to speak to you about declaring the kingdom. When we speak about declaring the kingdom, we're speaking about declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. For apart from the truth of the gospel, 
no one will enter the kingdom of God. Okay? No one will enter the kingdom of God. So when we speak about declaring the kingdom, we're talking about declaring the truth of the gospel. All right? So what is the gospel of the kingdom? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? John Piper writes, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphed over his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. I love, I love how he ends that, but only everlasting joy. If you and I are to engage in meaningful spiritual conversations, we must know, live, and breathe every element of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when I, was, when I came to Christ 44 years ago, it'll be 44 years ago in June when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I trusted Him, a few of my new Christian friends asked me about two weeks after I came to Christ, asked me if I wanted to attend a Saturday seminar with them. And that seminar was on evangelism. Well, to be honest, I didn't even know what evangelism was or what it even meant. I was so new in the faith. I was virtually unchurched. I was, I was 20 years old. And uh, so the only reason I went is I wanted to be with my new Christian friends. So I wasn't working that Saturday, so I went with my new Christian friends to this eight-hour evangelism seminar, okay? And uh, hung out with them all day, but by the end of the day, I understood what evangelism was. It was, I discovered that it was just simply sharing what Jesus had done for me to the people who come into my life. At the end of the training, the leaders gave us an opportunity to put, in, put into practice what we just learned. So they had a sign-up sheet. And I can still see my friends today. They're all this sign-up sheet, and they're saying, Hey, Gary! Gary, come over here! Come over here! You want to join us? We're, we're all going to go down to Marquette campus, and we're going to share our faith with, with college students. You want to come with us? Next thing I know, next Saturday... I'm down with a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of my friends and uh, with a group of them, and we're, I'm down there sharing my faith with, uh, with college students in, uh, in Marquette campus in downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so we got gathered together, and we came together as a group, and we prayed, and we broke up into like threes and fours, and, and the leader grabbed me because he knew, knew I was a brand-new Christian. He grabbed me. He says, Gary, you're with me. <laughs> and so... I, I stayed close with him, and he would walk up, and we'd go to a, with a group of, group of kids, and we'd walk up to them, and, and he would engage them in a conversation, and he would you know, start talking with them, and eventually he would turn around, and he would say, hey, Gary, tell them what Jesus did for you. Next thing I do, I'm telling them what Jesus did for me two weeks ago. And, uh, and then I did that multiple times, and I got more complete. That experience changed my life. It changed my life. Every time I shared my faith, the gospel was deepened in my life. I gained confidence not only in communicating the, in communicating the essence of the gospel, but I also 
gained confidence, and I understood the gospel more deeply in my life. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to, wrote to Philemon, he says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. See? You see, every time you and I share our faith, every time you and I share the, 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 the possibility and the hope that you can receive the forgiveness of sins with other people, it reminds us that our sins are forgiven. Every time that you and I can share that we have the hope of eternal life, it reminds us that we have eternal life. Right? It deepens it in, deep within our soul. It confirms us deep within our being. See, and it, it changed my life that day. I'll tell you, it solidified it deep within my heart and in my being. And so today I want to I want to take this assignment that, God, that, that, that the, the, the missions team has given me, and I want to, and I want to help solidify the gospel deep within, within your lives today. Because here, if, if, if you and I are going to engage in deep and meaningful spiritual conversations, we must know, live, and breathe every element of the gospel. And so there are five words I want to give you, five words that... Uh, that uh, that I think will help you remember the gospel, okay? Remember the five elements of the gospel. And, uh, and it's basically just take your, take your fingers out of your fingertips, okay? It's, it's God, sin, Jesus, faith, and discipleship. God, sin, Jesus, faith, and discipleship. Those five things, okay? I want to... Walk, walk you through those five things today in our, in our little talk. It's interesting, you know, we, we, we assess church, I've been involved in assessing church planters for over 30 plus years. And what we do is we take uh, pastors uh, and youth pastors and, and uh, elders of churches who say, well, they have a calling to plant a church. And we actually put them through a through a rigorous week long intensive where they basically they're living in a fishbowl they fill out all this paperwork ahead of time they go through all this rigor rigorous personality testing and then we put them in a fishbowl right uh, you know and uh, um, and then we basically observe them for three to four days and watch them interact and we put all the we put all the high D's in the same room and watch them sparks fly Okay, and, and then we put all the all the introverts in a room and watch them melt away. <laughs> and it was just all, all all different things. Anyway, but uh, it's this, this thing. And so, and one of the things we do is we give them an, assi- an evangelism assignment, and and we basically kind of grade them and say, hey, you have a friend that you've been sharing your faith with, and you have an opportunity to lead them to Jesus. And they're basically saying. Tell me how I can be saved. They're like the Philippian jailer saying, what must I do to be saved, right? And, and we basically grade them on these five things. And it's, it's kind of intense because they got someone observing them. But it's amazing sometimes. And we give them 20 points for each of these five. And sometimes they score 40 on it. Sometimes they score 60. I'm going, which ones did they miss? See, this is why it's important. 
for us to know these things, to memorize these things. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit. Thank God we have God who's at work in saving people, you know, because God sometimes superintends all this and over, 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 uh, oversees our errors. But, but let's, let's work on these together today. But the first one is God. God, we, we, we are all loved more than we realize. The first aspect of the gospel, the first element of the gospel is God. We, we, <clears throat> we, when we think of God, we must acknowledge that, we are com- that he is completely separated, um, that he is, he is completely separated from his creation. This means he is holy, physically, physically, spiritually, morally distinct from all that he has created. God is transcendent. God is above and beyond anything that we can think or imagine. When we think of God, we must acknowledge him as creator. In this, we recognize his authority over our lives, and we embrace his loving care in how he has created us. We as created spiritual beings are loved by our creator and created with the capacity to relate with God, to relate with God freely, with true devotion. When, when, when I get into spiritual conversations with people and, and they always bring up creation or evolution, I like to just help people by just saying, well, how do you define yourself? You know, if you were to define yourself, do you, do you de- would you define yourself as a cosmic accident or a created spiritual being. And it's amazing. In that, in that context, how many people just say, well, when you say it like that, I would go with created spiritual being. <laughs> okay? Because I really don't think of myself as an accident. Right? And it kind of simplifies it. It simplifies it. And people, people have enough self-esteem to say, I think I'm more of a created spiritual being than just a cosmic accident with no purpose or meaning. See? I'd rather see myself as a created spiritual being who is designed to fulfill a specific purpose within the divine plan. You know, the scripture tells us that God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. The psalmist said, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. The psalmist said again, you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I, I know them full well. J.I. Packer, Packer, the theologian, said, we must know what it means to call God creator before we can grasp what it means to speak of him as redeemer. The second element is sin. Sin. We have all sinned more than we understand. The second spiritual reality of the gospel is sin. So what is sin? The biblical, biblical definition of sin is it means to miss the mark. What, is it to, what does it mean to miss the mark? It means to miss, it means to miss the mark of God's perfection and holy standards. In the book of Romans we read, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This truth is laid out with a double emphasis. 
not only do we miss the mark, but we also come up short and fail to attain God's glory or His glorious standards. We must not only see sin as imperfection, but we must grasp the gospel, grasp, uh, but to grasp the gospel, we must see sin as an offense to God. We must see it as a punishable offense to God. The Scripture teaches us that the wages of sin is death. In the context of this passage, we discover that death, the death we experience is a spiritual death, a spiritual relational separation from a holy God. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God and His holy standards, He warned them that they would, be, that they would die. And yet the death was a, was, not, was a spiritual death, not a physical death. And God punished them by expelling them from His presence and cutting them off from the tree of life. In light of this truth, we are all born separated from God. And the Scriptures teach us that therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. The fact that we sin, right? The fact that all of us, and I don't think there's anyone here would say they're sinless, right? And I've said this in, you know, with little kids present. And I remember one little kid get up, I've never sinned. And mom gasped, okay? <laughs> but none of us would claim to be sinless. We've all sinned. Really tells us we, we have been born separated. We have been born under sin and separated from God, which makes us powerless to achieve God's favor and, even, and, and earn God's forgiveness by our own efforts. Abraham, a patriarch of faith, could not earn God's favor. But because of his faith, he was his, his, his faith, he was credited, right? It was credited, uh, he was credited righteous. He was made righteous by God. To embrace the gospel, we must be willing to embrace our sinfulness and our powerlessness to earn or achieve God's favor or forgiveness. J.C. Ryle said, Never does a person see any beauty in Christ as a Savior until they discover that they are lost. They are a lost and ruined sinner. You know, I'll never forget the moment where I really felt under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I realized I was a sinner needing a Savior. And I was sitting in a large stadium, and it was really a kind of a crazy story how I got to that stadium in the first place. I ended up in a stadium <clears throat> uh, hearing a preacher who I never heard before. And I actually got, that, got on that stadium. I got out there on a church bus. This was in the 70s, okay? How many of you seen the Jesus Revolution? Okay. Well, I was part of the Jesus Revolution, okay, and experienced that. And, uh, and, um, and just, you know, ended up taking this 40-minute bus ride on a church bus 
with long hair down to my shoulders. And it just wasn't any ordinary church bus. It was actually a Pentecostal church bus with ladies with big black Bibles, and they were smiling at me the whole time. And I was like, and you know what? Now I think about it, and I think about those ladies' prayers broke through to my heart, you know? And, uh, and they, so I was so freaked out. Basically, I got off that bus and went up to the upper grandstand, didn't want to sit by anybody. It was me, my girlfriend, and an usher, okay? In the upper grandstands of Milwaukee County Stadium. And they had the singing, they had the music, and then this guy started preaching. He started preaching and was like, he reached up and he grabbed me by the collar and he said, young man, I got something to say to you today. And all of a sudden I started feeling confused and guilty and dirty and overwhelmed and like, and and I had my mouth hanging open. Maybe even drool coming out of my mouth. I don't know. My girlfriend, she elbowed me right in the side and said, Gary, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? I, just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This, this guy's talking about me. And she said, well, maybe that's God talking to you. God talking to me in Milwaukee County Stadium. And that was the first time I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit convicting me. And then he started talking about the love of God and that Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. He paid for the sin I was feeling so bad about. That he took it for me. And he satisfied God's holiness. And he satisfied God's justice for me. And then I was blown away. And I was drawn to it. It was a miracle that was happening in my life and in my heart. And that's when I felt God's conviction. And the first time I felt, I felt what it means when people say came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I saw the beauty of Christ as a Savior because I saw myself as a ruined and lost sinner. The third thing is Jesus. He's a gift more than we can imagine. Gee, who is Jesus? Jesus is the risen Lord, risen Lord and only Savior. Jesus who proclaimed to be God who proclaimed to be God, who was sent by the Father to redeem us of our sins, lived a sinful life and offered, him, offered that sin, sinless life as a sacrifice to satisfy the justice of a holy God. He is the only Savior and the only means back to the Father. Jesus Himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. The apostles taught this and proclaimed it and declared it. Salvation is found in no, no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Paul, the apostle, taught there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only Savior, friends. 
That's the difference between all the world religions. Jesus is the only Savior. Jesus, after suffering on the cross and paying the debt, was raised back to life as living proof that everything that he taught was true and the fulfillment and, and the fulfillment of the scriptures. You know, the, the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus would die and be raised to, back to life. The Bible teaches that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. We have a Savior who is living. We have a Savior who is reigning. We have a Savior. We have a Savior who is exalted above all. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the only Savior, and He also is the risen Lord. And we must submit to His reign in our lives. The Bible teaches that if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. John Piper wrote, the best news of the Christian gospel is that God, is that, is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrected, resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. I love that to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. Well, the fourth element is faith. Our response is simpler than we like to admit. The fact is, friends, you and I practice faith every day. We practice faith every day. When I get on an airplane... I'm entrusting my whole air traffic controllers and federal, ins federal inspectors. And yet our faith is as only as good as the object in which we place our trust. For a person to experience saving faith, we must first change our minds about who Jesus is and the claims he has on our lives. The Bible calls this repentance. Peter addressing the crowd who wanted to know, uh, who wanted to know uh, um, what it is to be saved. Peter said this. He said, you need, you need to repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus taught his disciples that repentance is the key to receiving God's forgiveness. He said this in Luke. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the, sin, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Faith expressed first through repentance and second, secondly through receiving Jesus into our lives as the risen Lord and only Savior. The Bible teaches us, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision, 
or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word receiving here means to lay hold of or cling to. The word believe means to give credit to or to place confidence in. To receive and believe. Jesus is to put all our hopes in him as the only Savior and to submit to him as the risen Lord. It is to rest fully in his promises, his claims, and his living presence. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, when we believe in him or on him, we accept him as God sets forth, and we make use of him by trusting on him to do for us what God has appointed him to do. This trusting on Jesus is saving faith. Let's never forget that all of this is the work of a loving God in our lives. Receiving and believing, Jesus reveals that God has brought us to this point. I love the story about Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, that little man, right? who was running to Jesus and climbed up that tree, right? He couldn't, he couldn't see Jesus, right? He climbed up that tree, and he was doing all the things to try to see Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden, he climbs up the tree, and what does Jesus say? Hey, I want to come to your house. Jesus was working in his life, drawing him to that point. That's the beauty that God is working in and through us. Draw us to that point. How does this work out practically in our lives? It works when we all come to a prayerful moment in our lives. When we turn our lives over to the care and control of Jesus. We allow him to work in and through us. And I remember, I remember, I remember the moment when I surrendered my life to Christ. And I prayed. And I said, I don't understand all this. But I'm... I'm I said, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I remember my friend was with me. And I said, I don't understand it, but tonight I'm giving my life to Jesus. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. You know. And uh, it was a brilliant array of stars out. And we both gave our lives to Jesus over, like I said, 44 years ago. And my friend said, I don't understand this, but I'm going to join you. And he's still following Jesus today. God changed our lives that moment. The best we knew how in that moment, we entrusted our lives to Christ. That's what saving faith is, friends. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know how if someone dragged you here to church today or not. Right? I don't know where you are in your faith. But it might be as simple as a prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the only Savior and risen Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want you to come into my life at this moment. And as best as I know how, I turn my life over to your care and control. 
You can do that right now. In a simple moment. You know, I prayed that prayer. I prayed a prayer like that every day for a month. Because I doubt it. I, I doubt if it was real or not. Right? I knew something happened. But I was doubt. I was like, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> so every day I prayed that prayer. Until a friend came alongside me and he showed me this Bible verse that I want to share with you. Because maybe some of you are in that same, same boat. He shared this Bible verse out of 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. He says, Gary, you don't need to pray that prayer every day. Because listen to what the Word of God says. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Wow. When he read those words and I read them and I memorized that passage, the Holy Spirit and God's word sealed it on my heart. And I have never doubted from a moment from that day, 44 years ago, whether I'm a child of God or not. That's what the Bible calls the assurance of salvation. Because my assurance is not in that prayer. My assurance is in Jesus Christ and God's word. I don't know where you're at today. But I've, I've led more people into re-upping their faith over the years. But that's part of discipleship, Right? I don't know where you're at today, but if you've if you prayed that prayer today, if you prayed that prayer, I got a gift for you. I brought a couple of other books I've written. These ones are free. If you prayed that prayer today, just come up to me. It's about a 21-day journey to experiencing Jesus. It's 21 days of getting to know Jesus better. And uh, I'll have some up here for people who prayed that prayer today. And I'll pray with you after the service. The fifth one, so we got God, sin, Jesus, faith, and now discipleship. See, discipleship. There's life after faith, right? <laughs> faith continues on. There's the discipleship, a relationship. Our relationship with God is built on mutual love. Most religious systems in the world are built on guilt, shame and fear because they're focused on futile attempts of human beings trying to earn God's favor through rituals, rites, and rule following. Yet Christianity is built on love. It's built on mutual love. God's unconditional love for us, revealed through the gift of His Son, Jesus, and our responsive love to God. Jesus summed up the Christian life in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You know, one of the things we talk about in discipleship, there's six kind of outcomes, right, in, in, in moving forward as a disciple. One is learning how 
to, to, to create intimacy with God through prayer and Bible study. And this is one of the things these 21 days does is help us create not just a 21-day experience, but a 365-day habit of meeting with God on a daily basis, letting his word, you know, it's, relationships are built on talking and listening. Talking to God and listening to God through his word. And that's what, the, that's what we try to cultivate with the, these tools. Creating intimacy with God. Sharing our faith naturally and effectively. Just getting into spiritual conversations with people. Just sharing what God's doing in your life on a daily basis with your friends and family. Not making a big deal about it. Being mentored by others and learning eventually how to mentor other people. How to invest your lives in other people. Practicing kingdom generosity. Learning to serve people uh, in your neighborhoods and in your communities. Jesus said, I am among you as one who served. And then growing in your understanding of the centrality of the gospel. Understanding that the gospel is just not something that saves us, but something that sanctifies us and sustains us in our lives. The gospel is good news because it brings a person into the everlasting, ever-increasing joy of Jesus. The gospel is not simply an insurance plan that keeps us saved from the fiery flames of hell. It's the foundation of hope that steadies our feet. It's the breath of joy that fills our lungs. It's the brightness of the sun that warms our souls. It's the truth that calms our minds and guards our hearts. It's the song of praise that's on the tip of our tongues. The gospel of Jesus not only saves me, but it is saving me and sanctifying me and satisfying me every day because it points me to Jesus, the risen Lord and only Savior. Yet I work all these things out in my life not to earn God's love, but to simply respond to his love because the Bible teaches me that we love because God first loved us. So, Converge, I pray that you will be active in sharing your faith. I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. That the gospel will penetrate your life more and more in deeper and fuller ways. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.